Good morning. Murder. Before we uh, look at passages, let me read you, read you from the Old Testament. Uh, you'll discover why as I read the passage. It's Exodus 2. One day, after Moses had grown up, means he had some sense. He had grown up. He went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered the flock. When the girls returned to Reuel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered him, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? He asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. I'm one of the fortunate people who don't get many emails from Phil and Lisa. I get occasional ones, and ones that come from Phil, when I look at the heading, they have the same heading every time. I went back on the ones he sent me recently, and it's always the heading, a question. It invites me to read on. And so I read on this particular one, and it said, can you help us out? Can you do murder? thought, yeah, okay, I can do a murder. You mustn't read anything into why, you're asking us, why we're asking you to do this, Richard, but can you do murder? Okay. I guess having been in Baptist ministry for over 30 years, I can do murder quite well. <laughs> At least with looks, if nothing else. <laughs> can you do murder? Of course, we would all say that this is the one command we can more or less be certain that nobody in this building at this moment in time has ever committed murder. Not one human being upon another anyway. But Jesus takes it a step further, as he does with 
nearly all the commandments. As you read the New Testament, as Jesus takes hold of the law that he's not come to abolish, he enhances it. He makes us think more. He starts saying things like, you only have to look to commit the act of adultery. And in this context, he says, you only have to be angry without just cause to actually commit murder. Now, that brought me up with a bit of a shock, really, because I can at times be quite an angry person. Yeah. I get frustrated and my anger burns out and overwhelms in all sorts of strange and wonderful ways. Normally after I've been in a church meeting. <laughs> but that doesn't happen at SBC, does it? You're all very docile, you're all very submissive. And I don't come to church meetings, so yeah, okay. One of the things that retired Baptist ministers enjoy is that we don't have to come to church meetings because we don't want to actually be seen to be disagreeing with the establishment. Not that we disagree with them in any case. So Jesus says, manage your anger. Picking up on the Old Testament passages that we read of murder that is committed. And that's why I read you the Exodus 2 passage. Here is Moses Moses, a young man, he sees the inhumanity that's going on round about him as he sees his, his, his own race being demeaned by the Egyptians. And he gets so frustrated that the hard taskmasters drive the Hebrews to a point that he actually reacts, he retaliates. It's very interesting when you read the passage because it says Moses looked round to make sure nobody was watching him. It was premeditated in that sense. He's going to deal with this person and he murders him and then he buries him in the sand. Unfortunately, somebody's been watching and sees it all happening. But the striking thing is that if you leap forward two chapters... Moses is called, stuttering, stammering, to go to Pharaoh on behalf of the people and say, let my people go. God uses him, a murderer, to actually release the people. Last night as I watched my television screen, the headline news was, young girl stabbed to death in Harold Hill. Now, most of you have no idea where Harold Hill is. And the BBC tell us it's East London. It's just outside Romford. It's a deprived housing estate. It has all sorts of issues on it. And in the middle of that, there is a small pioneer Baptist church that has been there now for the last 10 years. Rich Shorter is the minister there. And Rich will be involved at the heart of this, trying to make sense with the community of why a young girl actually goes out for some time with her friends and never goes home again. And the whole emotions that go on around that. This morning, on my BBC Lancashire radio, oh, I didn't get any, so I got a few hisses. I, heard then <laughs> uh, I, I live over the border, right? Uh, in that sense. Boo. 
BBC Lancashire reports a teenage boy having been stabbed to death just outside Manchester yesterday. It seems to me that part of our daily lifestyle at the moment is murder. And it's murder because we actually allow it to happen and we don't stand up and we don't actually make some sense of it and neither do the politicians in that sense. And we can wash it off by saying, oh, we would never do that. But Jesus says you only have to think the thought and you have committed the act. Murder is a serious crime because once done, it cannot be undone. Spontaneous killing, murder, the course of robbery, terrorism killing are part and parcel of our regular news reports. But the root of it is anger. It is how people react to situations they find themselves on, whether they need to retaliate to them. And we spawn a generation of movie heroes that, that perpetuate murder, Rambo, Terminator, Lethal Weapon. They're really nice, aren't they? You know? Die Hard. And there will be many more which we could pick up. When I was in ministry, we used to run Youth Alpha. And in those days, they offered you some film clips you could watch. Uh, I could never make sense of the film clips. Yeah. Which is the one when they give you two pills, a red one and a blue one. The Matrix, right? Well, whoever's got time to explain The Matrix to me, <laughs> all right? Make an appointment. But it is about good and bad. It is about controlling anger. We're not exactly walking models of how we deal with anger management. And we can break the command by passive inaction. We send a person away naked and we could clothe them. We will let them freeze to death. We see people suffering from hunger and we do not feed them. They may starve to death. And so Jesus takes this do not murder and he says, you've heard it said do not murder. But I say to you, anyone who is angry with somebody without cause is subject to judgment. It mandates us to pursue those things that preserve and enhance life. The giver of life says to his people on earth, your job is to preserve my creation. Part of my creation are human beings. This is your role, church of God, is to preserve life until it reaches eternity. And Christianity teaches us that life is valuable. Jesus' interpretation of you shall not murder includes not only the acts that cause death, but also the actions and attitudes that cause harm. Grudges, resentment, prejudice, racism, bitterness, hatred, all harm life. Our language at times is full of deadly venom. How we react to people, what we say, when we open gob and not engage brain, are those moments when it comes out, and once it's out, it's out there. My childhood days were 
in a time when this little ditty was very prominent. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, they cannot hurt me. But they do. They do. They cause bitterness and anger. And we've all said it, haven't we? If looks could kill. If looks could kill. I have a friend who uh, has followed me through ministry and has sat a number of times and listened to me. Uh, and she has stood at a door at times, as I come to the door as I've been stood there, and she has shaken me by the hand and she says to me, I could kill you. And I look at her and I say, Alison, why, why do you want to kill me? Because God again has spoken to me through what you're saying and I don't like it. But we do it, don't we? I could kill you. I could kill you. Rage and hatred, anger, distort our demeanor so that our very faces reflect death. When it's written all over your face, you don't have to say a word. At the end of this service, we are all going to gather coffee and a number of you will say to each other, how are you? Right? And what will you say? I'm fine. I'm fine. And you might shake the hand of the minister, whoever it is, like a wet lettuce leaf. And you look at him or you won't look at him when he says to you, how are you, Mick? Yeah. Right? 30 years, every time I've said to Mick, how are you? Fine. All right? But there have been moments with this man when he's not been fine. Isn't that true, Anne? <laughs> when deep within himself there's been something burning within him, that he's actually needed to express in one way or another. And honesty upon honesty, if church cannot be honest with each other, then we're in a poor state. We all get like that. Each one of us get frustrated and angry and wound up and drops his notes and all sorts. But we're all like that. That's our human nature. But it's how we deal with the anger. What do we do with it? Do we let it fester? Does it just build up inside of us? J. John, who's the great writer on 10, right, in, his, in his book and in a number of his addresses, suggests on this particular one that there are three types of people. This is the first one, the maniac. Any maniacs amongst us? Right? Any maniacs amongst us? People who, who react. Right? They explode, they blow up. They start hurling things around. They yell with rage. Things spill out. Sibling rivalry, of course, was the cause of the first murder. In a fit of jealousy and anger, Cain murders Abel. How many of you are maniacs? How many of you get so frustrated with life that you want to start throwing things at somebody or anything? All right, sir. The earlier service, I said to them, I've been married for over 40 years. My wife has never thrown anything physically at me. Right? <laughs> Who was that? <laughs> Thank you, Bernard. 
Who knows my wife better than I know them? My house group, obviously. And that's, that's it. But if looks could kill, I wither. Strange, isn't it? Yeah. My wife only has to look, and I wither. We're not people who throw and hurl things at each other. But it's the look. It's the look. You see it on her face. She sees it in my face. The dark cloud. The mist descends. Over each and every one of us. At one time in our lives, you will get this dark moment. Yeah. I have four children. I've had lots of dark moments. <laughs> when I told my uh, eldest son that I was preaching on murder, he said, Dad, it should be the shortest sermon you've ever delivered. You just stand there and say, you shall not murder and sit down again. Because people you're talking to actually don't do that stuff. Really? People get angry, and at the most, we get angry with those who are closest to us. Let's be honest about that. Here's a quote. To dwell with those we love, that would be glory. To dwell below with those we know, that's another story. It is this tension, human tension within us, that causes us to deal with that. And as J. John moves on, he talks about the maniac. And one of his throwaway lines, he's great at throwaway lines, this guy. As I listened to him this week, uh, I picked this one out. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. Human life, relationships, calls us to be flexible with each other, with the situations we face, that we have to bend and sway with it without losing sight of that root that holds us tightly together. Maniacs put their mouths in gear before they engage their minds. They fly into a rage. They make a bad landing. They blow a fuse and end up in darkness. Because they don't see a way out of it. They've made this molehill into a mountain. Before churches went up market and had carpets on the floor, we had wood. And I recall one particular instance when at a special event which the children were actually doing, all I could hear was this grit of a child dragging a chair across the floor. Yeah. Couldn't hear anything else that happened. And I, suddenly, I was sat at the back. And I suddenly said very loudly, why doesn't somebody get hold of that child? And all of a sudden, the heavens descended on me. I could use another word, but I'll talk about the heavens descending on me. And there was absolute uproar. Why? Because this child happened to be the grandson of the church secretary. And I went home that day and I couldn't eat my dinner, and that's most unusual. And I was like a bear with a sore head for the next part of the Sunday afternoon. And in the end, I said to Jean, Jean, I've got to go and sort this out. 
And I start on my journey from my house down to where the church secretary lives. And I'm walking along the road and he's coming towards me. And he says, we need to sort this out. And then I get under the surface. And yes, he was upset with what I'd done. But what was actually going on? There were other things happening in their family life. That me doing that just burst the thing. And the whole muck and stuff that he was dealing with came out. You know, there are moments when we need an escape valve, and that's why we need each other, and those we have confidence in, in actually sharing those things with the maniac. The other thing that uh, J. John suggests is that the mute. Now, this is our house. Retreat into silence for a while. All right? Who's going to say sorry first? Who's going to buy a bunch of flowers when they never buy flowers? Who's going to make the dinner or whatever it is? The mute, denial. It's, it's not happened. We'll just push it away and we'll forget about it. But actually what happens is it builds up inside. It builds up to that moment where you actually turn from the mute into the maniac. Because it just explodes in front of you. They conceal how they feel. We put on a good front. I feel fine. We pretend to feel no anger at all. Who? Me? Angry? Never. And we hold the anger in and we swallow the pain. And our bodies start to react to repress anger. And the third offering was the manipulator, the person who can twist it, the person who can make it seem like that, the pe- people, people who deal with it flippantly, who offer a jibe, a, a, a hurtful humor, little insults. People with resentful anger often get their feelings hurt and never get over it. A single incident can get neighbors embroiled in conflict that causes them to be enemies. And it happens in church. Two elderly ladies sit opposite each other, as far away from each other as is possible. And the new minister says to his elders, what's going on here? And the reply comes back, they fell out 30 years ago, and they've not spoken to each other since. And then when this naive young minister goes along and says to them individually, what is it that you fall out about? They say, we can't remember. We can't remember. But it was their fault. Held in anger. Manipulating a situation to get their own ends. So do we identify with any of them, all of them, some of them, none of them? Maybe it's something for you to ponder in your home groups when you get to doing murder. So how do we deal with it? How do we manage our anger? Well, we have to admit we're angry. 
been frustrated with it all. When we have to swallow our own medicine, the spoon, spoon seems quite large, doesn't it? I can remember saying in my university days to a tutor, I don't suffer fools gladly. I don't. I still don't. All those years later, I don't suffer fools gladly. They wind me up. If you want me to get angry, you know, this is the place to put me. In place with fools. And then I have to look at myself and decide that there are moments that I've been a fool as well. That I've done things, that I've said things, I've reacted to situations. And I have to do that with my family, with my friends, and with my God. And with my God. And with my God. You see, we make things worse when we pretend it's not a problem. We need to stop deceiving ourselves. If we don't talk it out, it takes it out on us. One of the great things about modern technology is you can press a button and get an answer to anything. In the Bible, 455 times the word anger appears. 375 times it talks about God's anger. God's anger, God's frustration with the people of Israel and all those down through the ages who have frustrated the mission of the Christ-like God. 375 times. Even an accountant like me can work out that there are 75 times only in the Bible when it talks about the other humans. God gets angry. It's okay to be angry as long as you deal with it. Yeah? God got angry. The posh theologians call it righteous indignation. You know, the time he walked into the temple, he saw them dealing and wheeling and dealing. What did he do? Threw the tables over. Righteous indignation. Oh, God's anger. We need to admit the times when we're angry. If Jesus rightly can be justifiably angry, then so can we be justifiably be angry. We get angry justifiably by our political systems, both local and national and international. But how we deal with it, how we get rid of it, is another way. And one of them is to admit it. The other one is to deal with it. To deal with it straight away, because if you don't deal with it, it festers. It actually grows deep within you. In Ephesians Paul says this, don't sin by letting anger gain control of you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. When I read that, I thought, you know, the authorized version is much better. And then I got to the last bit. You know, anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. It's sharp, it's direct, it's to the point. If we do not deal with anger, then evil abounds amongst us. We need to deal with it. So when we hold on to it, it opens up evil implications. Don't let the sun go down while you are angry. So we're told not to go to bed angry. 
When we lie down and all that anger eats us up like a parasite. We get sleepless nights. Hot heads and cold hearts don't solve anything. But warm hearts and sensible heads solves a whole load of stuff. And in Romans, Paul says this, Never avenge yourselves. It is not for you to take retribution. You leave that to God. For it's written, I will take vengeance. I will repay those who deserve it. The authorized version says, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So we need to understand the anger that is within us. For it covers a hurt, and under the hurt you find an expression, and under an expectation, and under the expectation you find a need. There is something deep within us that needs to be remedied, that needs to be dealt with. A sequence of irritating events can build up pressure until finally an insignificant incident, just like the one with the chair that I talked about earlier, can trigger a whole eruption. And one of the things that I have learned, even when I don't suffer fools gladly, is that not only does it cover a hurt, but I have to stop and think before speaking. It is taking that second breath. Stephen Covey, who's a management consultant, has written a book called Leading from the Second Chair. In that book, he suggests that you take a second breath. When things confront you, when things look tough, when anger builds up within us, when frustration abounds, just an intake of breath that calms the soul and the spirit and the life that allows us to move on. If we speak when we're angry, we'll make the best speech we will ever regret. And if you keep your mouth shut, you won't put your foot in it. Or scripturally, James, you know, the epistle of straw, which has got more past practical theology in it than any other book in scripture, says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. That's a good mantra, isn't it? Quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to get angry. Oh, what did I do? Oh, well, let me go back because we're not there. Right. We are now. There we are. My final, my final offering to you in that sense is how do we deal with it? We need God. We need God to deal with our anger. And so we ask God to fill us with His Holy Spirit. It's been a real joy over the last two years as part of SBC to listen to those who come and preach to us regularly. You know. And if you ask me to put a, a, you know, to decide which one I've enjoyed the most, I think it has been the series on the fruit of the Spirit. 
when I've listened to, when I listen to a number, number of you, to Catherine, to Lisa, to Phil, to Martin, the one that really got to me was the last one that Martin did. Because right? Right? he said this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I sat there, and I heard Martin say this. If you haven't got the last one, you've got no chance of doing the others. If you haven't got self-control, then all the others won't happen. And actually, do not murder buys into this in a big way. Yeah. Self-control. Do not get angry. It's how we control ourselves. And how do we get that? We get that by asking God to fill us with His Spirit. The God, the Christ-like God who presences Himself amongst us. When the pressure is on and we get squeezed by irritation and inconvenience and, inter and in interruptions, whatever is inside is going to come out. Not now! My children, uh, my eldest children, who are twins, uh, used to love making Airfix model kits. And uh, when we were at Shipley, uh, that was their heyday making Airfix model kits. And one afternoon, I'm driving through Shipley doing pastoral visitation, and uh, my pastor, the pastoral assistant had given me a list of places to go, and as I'm driving to the last call, I suddenly realize that I'm driving home. And so I walk into the house, and Stephen and Keith are there, and they look at me, and they say, Dad, you're home early. And I said, yeah, well, I had this list from Jeff, and he said, these were the people I had to go and see, and the bottom line is 37 Airville Avenue. And they looked at me at the age of 11 or 12, as they were, and they laughed. And I said, what's so funny? And they said, Jeffrey had been asking us about our airfix kits. And we said, oh, yeah, we've done them all, except Dad promised six months ago to fix them to the ceiling. And he still hasn't done it. The following day at the staff meeting, I said to Jeffrey, why did you send me home? He said, because you said and you didn't. I'll sort it out. How many times have you said to yourself, I'll sort it out. I'll sort out this relationship with whoever it is. And then, oh well, I'll do it another time. And we push it on and we push it on and we push it on. We need to guard ourselves against anger. It's a choice God gives us. And we've probably all broken it at some time or another. The amazing thing is that this God who we talk lots and lots about forgives even murder if we are repentant. That's why I read Moses' story to you. I could equally have read to you about David, 
David, murderer, out of whose household was to come the Messiah. Paul, who we've quoted a number of times this morning, who started his, his grown-up life persecuting Christians. And yet, as he realizes the error of his ways, God takes him and he makes him from Saul into Paul, and so the church is born in a real and dynamic way. God uses three ex-murderers to write nearly three quarters of Scripture. And it can be true of us. And 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was murdered. Innocent man murdered for you and for me. I may hurt other people by my actions and attitudes. I may hurt myself. But most of all, I hurt God. Because my actions and attitudes crucify and crucified Jesus Christ. On a dark Friday afternoon, says one commentator, anger and wickedness is overcome by love and forgiveness. Jesus died with his arms stretched wide as if to embrace even his executioners, his murderers. God allows the Son to be murdered so we could be given life. Life in all its fullness.